Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is Romy the Homie, and you are listening to the Journey with Romy podcast, where I'll be teaching lessons and principles from the Bible, sharing my life experiences and what they taught me, and interviewing some pretty dope people. The best part is, no subject is off limits. We're talking about everything. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get right to it. So we are back with another episode, another chapter of Romans. We're, uh, we're moving right along. We're in Romans chapter 7. And a lot of what Paul talks about, it begins to get a bit redundant just because he is making sure that he instills into the Jews who were so strict in keeping this law. He's making sure that he's teaching them that they're free from the law because of Christ. And the same thing goes for us as modern day uh, believers and modern day Christians, we are entirely free from the law because of Christ. So if you have grown up in a culture that has taught you over and over again how important it is to keep the law, then it's going to take a while to undo those habits, right? This is something that you follow. This is something that you've been doing practically your whole life. And now here you have someone else coming and telling you that because of Christ, you don't you don't have to uphold the law. You are free from the law. It doesn't mean um, that the law has uh, no type of power. The only thing that the law was uh, created to do was to show us that we were sinners, but it couldn't teach you how to overcome sin. And it's only through the blood of Christ that we are able to overcome sin because he's overcome the world, right? And when you become a believer, he indwells inside of you and gives you the power to do the things that pleases God. So there's always a way for you to operate in a way that is pleasing to God. So let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to start with the first six verses. Um, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So here, um, again, the example that Paul wants to use is marriage, right? In a marriage, we, you know, we, we go to these wedding ceremonies all the time, and it's always till death do us part. And that's the way that, that marriage was designed, um, that the only way that that marriage is broken is by law. I mean, we all know, unfortunately, that's not how most marriages end today through death. But so he gives the example of how a woman, if she sleeps with another man, if she marries another man and her husband is still alive, then she'll be considered an adulteress, right? Um, Because she 
broke that law. She broke that covenant. However, if her husband dies and she marries another man, she won't be considered an adulteress. Um, there won't be any problem to that because it was broken at his deathbed. So the same thing um, that the law being fulfilled, we are dead to the law because it was fulfilled in Christ. And now, um, again, we can walk in the newness of the spirit. Uh, last week, we were talking about how we were dead to sin and alive to God. So we are freed from the law in a sense that we are dead to the law now because of Christ's death. And in the same way, um, we are now, you know, the church and a body of believers is always referred to as the bride of Christ. So that that law or that old covenant is now fulfilled it's broken it's dead and remember dead things don't respond so if we are dead to the law then we don't respond to the law however we do respond to um we do respond to the spirit the spirit that dwells within us that again gives us the power to do the things that please god so now verses 7 through 12 what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law has said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. But when the law commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. So, you know, anytime you have somebody that's trying to teach something, the, the best way to know if the students actually learned whatever it is you're trying to teach them is you ask them questions. You ask questions, you ask potential questions that may come up, that may, uh, you know, um, bring to light the things that, that may be unclear. So that's what Paul is doing here. Again, he's trying to um, get rid of years and years of teaching that they had to keep the law. And it's not keeping the law that, that saves you. It is only through Christ that you're saved, right? So sin's advantage in the law. So what he's basically saying here is until we had the law, then although there was sin in the world, we weren't aware of, we, we know that we were, we know that we were in a, that we live in a cursed world, right? We know that we live in a fallen world, world, but if there's, if there was no law in place, then you can't, it's like, you can't find somebody for something that they're, that they're unaware about that there is no nothing clear and um I gave the example before how if you are on the expressway and there's no speed limit if you're going 80 miles an hour then the police can't pull you over and give you a ticket for going 80 miles an hour because there's nothing there that says that you cannot go 80 miles an hour but when they put that sign out there and it says that you have to go 55 and you're going 80 now you're at risk for breaking um the law right so that's what the purpose of the law was to only reveal sin and it's saying like okay well since we're not supposed to follow the law since we're dead to the law then does that make the law sin 
And the answer is absolutely not. The law is not sin. But apart from the law, sin is dead. Like relatively speaking, the, the sinful nature is it's like a sleeping dog, right? When the law comes and says, don't, the dog wakes up and goes on a rampage. Like think about it. Whenever, um, maybe as a child growing up, you was told no a lot. And when you were told no, what did, how did that make you feel? It made you feel like whatever it is that they kept telling you no for, they trying to keep something from me. Why wouldn't they want me to do this? Why they keep saying no, no, no? And maybe, you know, you didn't really understand at the time, but as you got older, you began to understand. But whenever your parents or your grandma or your auntie, they kept telling you no, then the only thing that it did was made you want to do that thing even more, right? That's our nature. So <laughs> that's what in verse um, eight, when he says, take an opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. So now the things that I'm not supposed to do, it just made me want to do it even more, telling me that I can't do it. It just made me want to do it even more. And when it says the commandment, which was to bring life, meaning like obedience, bringing life. And the example that I can give for that is like, think about a lion in the cage. You have a lion in the cage and it says, do not touch this lion. Do not try to pet him. It's dangerous. It's a dangerous animal. If you obey that law, if you obey that sign that's saying not to touch this animal, it air quotes brings life, right? It protects your life, right? But if you are disobedient and you do the very thing that it said not to do and you start to touch this animal or you want to pet it or you try to feed it and he bites your arm off, now that's leading to death in a sense like that. Not, it doesn't, not necessarily, you know what I'm saying? Like straight out the, but hopefully y'all get what I'm saying. Um, so that's what he's, that's what he's, that's what he means when he says, um, I was alive once without the law, meaning before the, the law came, before I knew that there were, um, there were laws in place that said that I couldn't do this or I couldn't do that or whatever, then, uh, sin was dead. Right. But once the law came into place and showed me, that's all, that's the only thing it was supposed to do. It wasn't meant to save you, but it was to show you that you were a sinner. Now all of a sudden, um, then I have this desire to do more evil. And now because you have died to Christ, then died with Christ, then you are, then you died to the law in that sense. So, and then the next, the actually the last couple verses. And the reason why this is again, going really quick is because he's just getting it through their brains that, you know, that we are not under the law. We are under grace. So the last section, it says law cannot save from sin. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. 
But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who would deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. That was a mouthful and definitely a riddle with all this. What I do, I don't understand. I do will to do, but I don't practice what I hate that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law. But now it is longer I who do it. But yeah, that was a lot, Paul. That was a whole lot. So essentially what Paul is saying here, he's talking about the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. So the flesh is the body, right? Again, uh, we are redeemed sinners. As believers, we are redeemed sinners. So we are free from the penalty of sin. What's the penalty of sin? Eternal separation from Christ. The penalty of sin is hell, right? As a believer, you're free from the penalty of sin because you've accepted Christ. Therefore, God sees you as holy. He sees you as fulfilling and upholding his holy law because Christ fulfilled the law, right? So you're free from the penalty of sin. However, we are not free from the presence of sin. And that's why also in the scripture, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, this is where we fall short. Sin is missing the mark. What is the mark? The mark is God's holy standard. The mark is what Christ fulfilled, right? But we fall short all the time. And that's that's the struggle that he's talking about. Man, the things that I want to do, I don't even do that. And the things that I hate to do, I do those things. And that's a constant battle that we have. And a lot of times these sins aren't the sins that are like obvious you know what i mean the sin could be that you know what you have not been spending the time that you need to you've been neglecting your creator like there is tension in the relationship because you haven't been there right the sin could be an idolatry and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that you are worshiping a statue but maybe you're worshiping your husband. Maybe you're giving him more time than you give to God. Maybe you're worshiping success because that's the thing. Anything that you worship is anything that you are a slave to, meaning anything that controls you. Um, the Bible talks about where your um, heart is. That's where your treasury is. What do you spend most of your time doing? Like, granted, okay, we all have to work jobs. We all have to run businesses because we all have to survive. We have to make money to make a living. But where do you spend most of your time? That's the thing that has you. And a lot of times we, we fall short because the things that we're pursuing, the things that we are worshiping, not knowing it, 
is careers. We're chasing after money. You know, we're we're worshiping our spouses, sometimes worshiping our children. You know, it can be anything. And it doesn't necessarily mean like the whole bowing down and praying to these things. But anything that consumes your time, anything that you make a priority, whatever it is that you make a priority can become idolatry. And idolatry is a sin. God said that he is a just He's a jealous God. He's a jealous God, right? So you shouldn't have no other gods before me, right? So Paul is talking about the struggle between the spirit man and the flesh. And it's always going to be a struggle. You're not free from the presence of sin just yet because you live in this body. You live in this in this world right you live in the flesh that's what in the flesh is talking about it's talking about alive and as long as i'm in this body it's going to be a a, a a constant struggle that's why he said you know um if you want to follow after me you have to pick up your cross daily every single day that's why every day he gives you new grace and new mercy because he knows that you're going to fall short he knows that you're going to miss the mark that's why he sent his son jesus to um, take care and bear the sins of the entire world so that's what paul is talking about and it's not he's not excusing his sin he's not saying that um oh because it's always this flesh and it seems like all my good intentions end in failure when 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 we want to do right then we end up sinning somehow right i don't know if you guys ever had that experience where you know you felt like you was good you was on point you know not that you were perfect or anything like that but you was just really feeling good about your christian walk and then you hear a message and it challenges you and you like man i still got work to do i still got work to do what does that mean like and we all still got work to do right that means that we constantly miss the mark because we're always being corrected by the word of God. And sometimes that correction hurts. It doesn't feel good when you get checked and, and checked over again. That's why scripture tells us that the Bible is like a two-edged sword. A two-edged sword, that means it's going to cut me on every side, going in and coming back out. But it's not meant to harm me, but it's to uh, make me spiritually mature. It's to perfect me. It's to get me ready for the big marriage day, if you will, symbolically for the bride or the believers, the body of Christ, right? Uh, being married to um, the bridegroom or Jesus Christ. Basically, when we meet, when we meet Jesus face to face. So just to summarize what Paul is saying in chapter 7, speaking to the Jews, but also speaking to any believers that, that didn't know that, that felt like you that it was all about keeping a set of rules. It's not. It's, we're, we're under uh, the dispensation of grace. I'll you know, talk about dispensations at a later time, but we are under grace. We're not under the law. Christ fulfilled the law. He fulfilled what, what God demanded. He did it all by himself and it is through christ that we are able to uphold those standards it's not out of obligation but it's out of love we operate in a way that's out of love because we want to please the father we want to please the one who died for us who sent someone in our place we want to please him right there's nothing we could do that that, that could ever repay that but we can we can be a living sacrifice we can spread the gospel we can tell people the good news and that you don't have to be bound by sin and one day we will be delivered from the presence of sin where there will be no more sin 
anymore. There won't be this battle between the flesh and the spirit that we as believers, we battle every single day. And also understanding that the law cannot save from sin. Jesus Christ is the only one that can save from sin. The law is not a bad thing. Don't be confused. It's not a bad thing. It's like that mirror. A mirror is not a bad thing. It shows you what needs to be fixed, right? So it's not a bad thing, but we are dead to the law because Christ fulfilled the law and we are uh, alive in Christ and we can walk in the newness of the spirit and the spirit that uh, indwells us as soon as we become believers, giving us the power to do the things that please God. So that's it. That's all until next week. Thanks for tuning in.